Good evening, church family and friends. Everybody's here, um, everybody that's here. And, and thank you all for being here tonight. Nice night, right? I think it's a nice night. I don't know what's going on here, but let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your love for us. You hand upon our lives for good, Lord, and you said no good thing will you withhold from them that walk uprightly before you, Lord, and how you are the one that load us daily with benefits, and you position us, Lord, that we could not only hear your voice, but know your voice. You said my sheep hear my voice and they follow me, and so, Lord, we want to follow you more than anything else the world offers, and so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom in the days we live in, Lord. Um, we speak to us, Lord. Give us a sense of hope in you, Lord, that we would be a light in a, in a dark world, Lord, that our hearts would be those like those on the road of Emmaus, burning within us, hearing the word of God, Lord, and placing all of our cares upon you, Lord, knowing that you have every answer for everything that we face, founding your word. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would... Um, not only be hearers, but doers of the word. And so, Father, I pray, speak to our hearts tonight as we study your word, Lord, and let it come alive. As David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, let it be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, I do pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So if you have a Bible tonight, turn with us to 2 Kings chapter 10. You know, we go through the Bible verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. So we are in 2 Kings chapter 10. I'm glad to be here. And, then, and look, remember, God raises up this man by the name of Jehu. Remember what Jehu names mean. It means Jehovah is he. He's the 10th, no, well, the 11th king of the northern kingdom. And he's an instrument being used by God. And you would think, well, he's an instrument being used by God. And how does someone become an instrument being used by God and don't know God? Well, that's easy. God, he's, the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. And like rivers of waters, he turns it which, whichever way he chooses. And so he can use somebody that's not a believer, and don't know him to still fulfill his call and purpose, what he's trying to do in human history. And so Jehu is not a believer. He's a king of Israel, but he's not the 11th king, but he's not a believer. He's going to have this dynasty that will last about 100 years. He reigns himself for 28 years from 841 B.C. to 813 B.C., he reigned for 28 years, and the Lord told him, you know, in verse 30 of the last chapter, last week, when we looked at that, the Lord told him in chapter 10, verse 30, and the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight, and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your sons shall, at the end of this chapter, rather, your sons shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. So his sons will sit on the throne to the fourth generation, it says it in this chapter. 
So he's going to, it's interesting that he, and, and you know, and, and this man, it seems like, you know, he, his sons would be, you know, these four sons that really didn't know the Lord in the way that they wouldn't know the Lord either. But it's just imagine these guys reigning for years and, and years and years and through all the kings of the north and none of them knew God. Isn't that something? How none of them, all of them had the same testimony. You know, they, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Could you imagine that if we look throughout history, all the way back from um, George Washington, and you go through all the presidents of the United States, even to now, imagine if they all had the same resume. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's not the case in our country. It's not the case at all. But imagine if that was the case. This country would look so different. The United States of America would look so different. So God raises up Jehu to execute judgment on the household of that old wicked king named Ahab. And he's, and he's God's chastening ride to purge the land of Israel of Baal worship. So God is against, you know, false gods. And so verse 1 of chapter 10, it says, now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria, and Jehu wrote and sent letters to Samaria, to the rulers of Jezreel, to the elders, and to those who reared Ahab's sons, saying, now they must have been young because those who reared his sons, you know, they might not have been all completely as old as we might think they would have been, 70 sons, and this, I'm sure he didn't have 70 sons. He's talking about 70, you know, descendants that came from him that were males. I know he didn't have 70 sons. He, it says that, but it's talking more in regards of his grandsons and the people of his generation, males of, from his descent. It says, now as soon as this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city also, and weapons, choose the best qualified of your master's son, set him on his father's throne, and fight for your master's house. Now Jehu is saying that he's coming to town and you better put the king on the throne because it's going to be a rumble. You know, let's get ready to rumble. You ever had somebody say, when I get down there, I'm telling you what I'm going to do to you. This is going to be a major problem. I'm going to get there. And he says, I'm coming in town to rumble. And then he says, but they, this is what it tells us, but they were, when they got this letter, but they were exceedingly, it's me'ol in, in the Hebrew, me'ol is the Hebrew word that means to a great degree, or a muchness, or abundant. They were exceedingly, to a great degree, afraid, and said, look, two kings could not stand up to him. How then can we stand? Now, they already knew that he killed Joram, or Joram, and he killed Ahaziah. 
you know, of the king of Judah. You know, you read Second Chronicles 22, it tells you that, verse 7 and 9 through 9. So they know that he already killed two kings. And they said, man, look, Jehu, he rides this chariot like, you know, he rides his chariot ferocious, you know, furious. He's, you know, he, this was the guy that he wrote. You know, if you had, I don't know if y'all have a, any of y'all have a Mustang in here? You know. But he rode his car with some. If he had a car, Jehu would have been one of those guys on two wheels when he turned. This guy was a tough dude. Jehu, a great and mighty man, he was. And it says in verse 5, And he who was in charge of the house, and he who was in charge of the city, the elders also, and those who reared the sons, Sent to Jehu, now they're sending him back something, saying, we are your servants. We will do all that you tell us, but we will not make anyone king. Do what is good in your sight. Then he, meaning Jehu, wrote a second letter to them, saying, and this is the letter. It's almost what, are these the epistles of Jehu? You know, the first and second. <laughs> Here's the second letter. If you are, notice, if you are for me and will obey my voice, take the heads of the men, your master's sons, this is Ahab's sons, his descendants, and come to me at Jezreel. Jezreel means seed of God or God scatters. By this time tomorrow, now the king's sons, 70 persons, were with the great men of the city, who were rearing them, so they're fairly youth, young. So it was when the letter came to them that they took the king's sons, notice, and slaughtered 70 persons, put their heads on the, in baskets, and sent them to him, meaning to um, um, Jehu, at Jezreel, where Jehu was. Then a messenger came and told them, saying, they have brought the heads of the king's sons. And he said, lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. So it was in the morning that he, meaning Jehu, went out and stood and said to all the people, you're righteous. Indeed, I have conspired against my master, or Joram, he means, and killed him. But who, but who killed all these, meaning the 70 sons of, of Ahab? He says, now know that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord. Notice, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he has spoken by his servant Elijah. Now this is when you got to read the Bible and you start realizing, look. God's word, sometimes people question God's word. They, you know, we don't really need a lot of commentaries. Most of the time, the Bible itself is the best commentary. If you want a commentary, you just do some good cross-references, follow prophecy really well, thoroughly. I mean, you need commentaries for some things you might not understand. God has raised up educated Bible men that love the word, that study um, to agnosia and, you know, knowing different, you know, Semitics and, you know, all these different sounds and speeches and all this stuff, linguistics and all. And, you know, it, it, that is important. But there are some parts of the Bible where you can figure out the Bible from the Bible. And this is one of those particular verses here when he says, Now, now, know now that nothing shall fall to the earth 
of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. He used Elijah to do it, but it was the word of the Lord. So when Elijah spoke, it was as though God was speaking himself because it, was the written, it became the written word of God. We're talking about that Monday night when you're thinking about language. Do you learn how to talk first or you learn how to write first? You learn how to talk first. So before it was a written word, it was a spoken word. And God said, let there be light. Somebody recorded it after it was mentioned. And this is the word of God. If you go to 1 Kings, you don't have to turn back to this, but I'll read it for you. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 21 is interesting. If you love the word of God and love saying, well, I want to see places in the Bible where God's word was fulfilled. I want to see prophecy. In God. If God spoke it, where did it happen in the Bible? If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 21, it says this. This is, the, this is God speaking. Behold, I will bring calamity on you through Elijah. I will take away your posterity and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel both bond and free. And then if you look at 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 9, further down in that chapter, it's interesting what it says. It says, so, so um, see how Ahab has humbled himself before me. That's what God said. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. He says, in the days of his son, I will bring the calamity, calamity on his house. That's the word of God. In the culture we live in today, people don't believe in the word of God no more. People say, oh, that's in the Bible, but that's old, that's antiquated, or that's Victorian. You, somebody say, your church still, y'all go through the Bible, man. Well, go through the whole Bible, man. Don't worry, the Old Testament is boring, man. We don't go through the Old Testament. Some people have never been through the Old Testament. Some churches never taught the Old Testament. Do you realize that the Christians in the first century, so they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, then it says fellowship, then it says and breaking the bread, and in prayer. That was the pillars of the church in that sense. Apostles' doctrine. But when they taught the Bible, they taught the Old Testament. They didn't have a New Testament when the church was first birthed. They taught from the Old Testament. So, so many Christians don't even read the Old Testament. Why would I read the Old Testament? That's the Old Testament. You would read the Old Testament because it's the Word of God. That's why you would read the Old Testament. Because it's the living Word of God. That's why you would read it. And God's Word, as Isaiah said, Isaiah says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return void. The, the Hebrew word for void is rekam. And it means vainly or blankly in empty condition without effect. That's what the word means in the Hebrew. It won't return void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing in which I send it. That's the word of God. And Jehu is interesting. He's saying in you know, verse 9, and it was in the morning that Jehu went out and stood and said to all the people, You are righteous. Indeed, I conspired against my master and killed him. 
But who killed all these? Now knowing, you know, know now that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab, for the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. Elijah said that. Okay, Ahab, you humbled yourself? Okay, God can still judge your house, but not in your day. But not in your day. Remember Hezekiah, the king of Judah? Hezekiah was a good king. Matter of fact, he was one of the best kings out of all of Israel. I mean, next to David, I don't think anybody was better. You know, Hezekiah was sick. And Isaiah said, get your house in order, he shall surely die. Then the Lord said, go back and tell him he's going to live. And the Lord gave him 15 years. And in the 15 years, in that 15 years was the worst 15 years of his life because three years into the 15 years, he would have a son by the name of Manasseh who was the most wickedest king in all of Judah. And he reigned longer than any other king in the southern kingdom. 55 years he would reign. He became king at 12, died at the age of 67. But it's interesting that when Hezekiah was well, the Babylonians came to visit him. And they said, and, and, and he started showing them all the treasures they had and all this stuff. And Isaiah told Hezekiah, he said, what did you show them? Oh, I showed them all the treasures, that, you, know, and, you know, paraphrasing some. He said, the same things you showed them, your descendants will be taken captive and carried away with these things. That word was fulfilled. Because Nebuchadnezzar came up and took the southern kingdom and took all the, you know, all the gold and all the stuff that was in the temple. And, all, and then we know that it was fulfilled. And not only was it fulfilled, it was another fulfillment down the road when Belshazzar had his drunken party. And he brought out all the gold and all those platters and all the you know, precious things from Israel. And the handwriting was on the wall. Meany, meany, took a farce, And you know, his kingdom was done away with mocking God. Because God is not mocked, and his word is neither. His word never returns void. We should treasure the word of God. If you don't treasure anything else in your walk with Jesus, you should treasure the word of God. You should wake up and read the word of God. Every morning, the rest of your life, when you go to bed at night, Read the word of God every morning, every night. You know, you meditate on my word day and night. You know, you know, whoever meditates, this book of the law should not, you know, depart from your mouth. That's what the enemy loves to do, that we don't read the word of God. And then we don't know God's voice. The Lord is speaking to me. The Lord said something to me. Let me tell you how the Lord speaks the most. Right through this. Now, that's after you had some pepperoni pizza and had some crazy dreams. Say, the Lord spoke to me in a dream. I should go jump in the river or something. You know, I don't know. I don't know. And so verse 11 is interesting. So Jehu killed all who remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel and all his great men and his close acquaintances and his priests until he left him none remaining. This is the purging of Baal worship and God's judgment and wrath is against the house of Ahab who introduced the nation to Baal worship through his wife Jezebel. 
And we saw what happened to her last week in chapter 9. And it says, and he arose and departed, notice, and went to Samaria on the way at Beth Achad, which means sharing, that's what it means, of the shepherds, Jehu met with the brothers of Ahaziah, king of Judah, the one he killed, you know, and said, who are you? So they answered, we are the brothers of Ahaziah. We have come down to greet the sons of the king. Now, they don't know that all of them are killed at this particular time, and their heads are hung on the city gate. And the sons of the queen, notice, and the sons of the queen mother. Jehu already had, you know, Jezebel thrown out the window, remember? God's wrath is removing anything that was associated with Ahab and Jezebel. The wicked died suddenly. Is that something? Imagine them running the country, Ahab and Jezebel. And he said, take them alive. These guys, the Ahaziah. So they took them alive and killed them at the wall of Beth Achad, 42 men, and he left none of them. He killed them all. They came down to see um, Ahab's sons and Jezebel. He said, well, birds of the same feather must flock together. You know, let's, kill let's kill these guys too. Right? It says, now when he departed from there, he met Jonadab. Or as some translation says, Jonadab, J-O-N-A-D-A-B, which means Jehovah is liberal. He was a Kenite, like um, Moses' father-in-law Jethro in Judges chapter 1, verse 16. He was a Kenite. The Kenites go as far back as to Abraham. You know, in Abraham's time, you know, in Genesis 15, I think it's verse 19, if I'm not mistaken, you'll see Kenites. So he was a Kenite. The sons of Rechab, or Rechab, or Rechab, different pronunciations, the Rehabites. If you know anything about the Rehabites, they were holy people. Jonadab was a holy man. He was a holy man, and God used him as a picture, a type of picture of how wicked Israel or Judah had become the southern kingdom, and God used this particular man. And he talks about his whole household. In Jeremiah 35, if you want to sort of look at that verse, turn to Jeremiah 35. I want to show you all. Jeremiah 35, verse 5. Jonadab. And, and God, like, marveled, marveled at the, the obedience of the Rehabites. In, in, um, in Jeremiah 35, verse 5, it says, then I set before the sons of the house of the Rehabites bowls full of wine and cups. And I said to them, drink wine. But they said, we will drink no wine. Notice what name they add in here. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, you shall drink no wine, you nor your sons forever. You should not build a house Sow seed, plant a vineyard, nor have any of these, but all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, and all that he charged us. 
to drink no wine all the days, we, our wives, our sons, our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, nor to do, nor do we have any vineyard, vineyard, fill or seed, but we have dwelled in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. This was hundreds of years earlier, Jonadab, and they kept the word of this man, Jonadab. And that's something. They said, we, and God made them as a par- comparison. So look, if, we put, if I put wine in front of this people, they wouldn't even drink it. And they're not even my people. They're not even Jews. And this is who Jehu runs into. He departed from there. He met Jonadab, the son of Rechab. It's interesting. They were a holy people. And it says, coming to meet him, back at Kings, amen, chapter 10, verse 15. And he greeted him and said to him, is your heart right as my heart is to worship your heart? Meaning, are we together? And Jonadab answered, it is. Jehu said, if it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and he took him up to him into the chariot. Then he said, come with me and see, notice, my zeal for the Lord. This man is not a servant of the Lord, only an instrument. And so he doesn't truly have a zeal for the Lord. He has a zeal for something else. And many people are like that today. They may appear to be faithful and zealous, but it's not unto the Lord. Because if it's unto the Lord, let another man say you have a zeal, not yourself. He says, I have a zeal for the Lord. I'm on fire for Jesus. He's like, really? Oh, boy, great. He has a zeal for the Lord. You know, in the book of Hosea, Jehu is condemned for overdoing it. Now listen, when God has nations, if you read history, you get to history, God will raise up a nation to judge one nation. But when that nation went beyond the boundaries of what God told them to do, he judged that nation. Like the Syrians judged the northern kingdom, Israel, you know, the northern tribes. Took them, scattered, overdid it. God raised up Babylon. Babylon overdid it, started mocking God. He raised up the Medes and the Persians. The Medes and the Persians overdid it. He raised up the Greeks. The Greeks overdid it. He raised up the Romans and, and all out through human history. And when you read the book of Hosea, it talks about how Jehu overdid it. In Hosea chapter 1, you don't have to turn to this, verse 4. Then the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in a little while, I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And that's what God did. He says, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. You imagine telling somebody that, man, I'm on fire for the Lord. You hang with me, man. I'm, I'm on fire. Because <laughs> everybody want to look super spiritual. You ever see somebody about, man, look, I'm serving the Lord, man. I'm on fire for Jesus, man. I'm serving the Lord. I'm, yeah, I love the Lord. And he heard my cry. And hallelujah, you know. And he helped Joshua fight the battle of Jericho. You know, and he helped Gilligan get off the island. You know, and they going in and in. He'd be like, whoa, whoa, hold it, brother. Hold it, brother. What do you mean you have a zeal for the Lord? What does that really mean when somebody have a zeal for the Lord? 
Is it to make other people look less spiritual than you? Is it to make you look like you just have so much more going on? Are you God's favorite or something like that? Some people think they're God's favorite. There's no partiality with God. He loves us all the same. You can't outperform another, people, another person and say, oh, yeah, look at that. I'm outperforming. <laughs> yeah, God loves me so much more. No, God loves all of us the same. Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they had him rod in his chariot. And that was a dangerous rod, I'm sure, for Jonadab. And when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed them according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. Little did Jehu know, you're only an instrument. And little should we recognize as Christians, as believers, as New Testament believers, you know, we are only, you know, God's handiwork. We, we are his, his tools, his, his mouthpiece to proclaim the gospel. And that's why we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. He is divine with the branches. Without him, we are nothing. Do you realize that? Without him, we are nothing without him. It's interesting what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Paul said this. He said, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he had loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and has made us, <laughs> he made us, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not our works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We can have nothing to brag about. And Paul said, if you're going to glory, when he quotes Jeremiah 9, 24, he says, if anyone glory, let him glory in the Lord. Isn't that something? Let him glory in the Lord. If you're going to do anything, let him glory in the Lord. That should make everybody clap. Say, yay, I want to give all the glory to God. <laughs> that won't make anybody clap because we like a little bit of glory. And it's somehow it's something about us. We like a little bit of glory. We like when somebody says something good that we did. You know, did you do that? <laughs> well, technically, it was all the Lord. And they like, and me too, Paul. <laughs> he used me. Is that something? This is verse 18. Then Jehu gathered all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little. Jehu will serve him much. This is a setup, a trap. Because Jehu has only overturned the house. You know, he, he's not only overturned the household of Ahab, 
He's now overturning the worship of Ahab and all those who indulge in Baal worship. He says, Jay will serve him much. Now, therefore, call to me all the prophets of Baal. This is what he's going to do. This is a setup. He's like, he almost said, I'm with, I'm with the Baal worship. And they said, really? Oh, man, this is a good king. He says, therefore, call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants and all his priests. Notice, let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Now, he's tricking them. You see that? Whoever is, whoever is missing shall not live. He's saying, whoever rejects my invitation, imagine that. Somebody invites you to a great feast. If you don't come, you're dead. <laughs> but I didn't get the invitation. They sent it to the wrong house. <laughs> this is funny. But they don't know that whoever accepts this invitation has already signed their own death sentence. You're dead if you don't show up and you're dead if you come. It's like a two-edged sword. Could you imagine? He said, this is funny. He says, for I have a great feast for Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu acted deceptively with the intent of destroying the worshipers of Baal. And Jehu said, proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. Then Jehu sent throughout all of Israel and all the worshipers of Baal came so that there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple bell and the temple bell was full from one end to the other. This, this place is jam packed. It shows you all the people. These are all the people who worship false gods. And he said to the one in charge of the wardrobe, bring out, notice, vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out vestments for them. Now Jay wants all the Baal worshipers to be in uniform. So they, you know, so that they are, you know, distinct from anyone else. So all the Baal, you worship Baal. Yo, give me one of those. Give me one of those. Give me one. Give me that. No, give me that jacket. Everybody got their Baal jackets on, you know. We love Baal. We love Baal. You know, Lord, Lord Bell, Lord thing on the front name. You know, just picture this. Then Jehu and Jonadab, the son of Rahab, Rahab, went into the temple bell and said to the worshipers of Bell, search and see that no one, no servants of the Lord are here with you, but only the worshipers of Bell. See, he's really setting this up. Jehu's saying, make sure that only the worshipers of Bell are here at this great feast. So they went in to, the office, to, the, to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had appointed for himself 80 men on the outside and had said, If any of the men whom I have brought into your land, hand rather, escapes, whoever lets them escape, it shall be his life for the life of the other. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine that? Somebody escaped and you're supposed to be on the ship, ship, ship watching somebody. And if they got off on your ship, you were put to death. Re now, I'm going to tell you how that works. Remember in, Ro in, um, in, in the, the Roman jailer in Acts 16? Remember when Paul, and it says when Paul and Silas were, you know, was, was, you know, praying and singing hymns, and it says the prisoners was listening to them, and it was a, and it was a great earthquake. The earthquake happened, and then... All the prisoners, chains was loose. They all could escape. Paul says, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. And so when the jailer came in, supposing that they all was going to escape, Paul says, no, 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 we are here. We are here because Paul knew Roman law 
that if a prisoner got away on a Roman soldier shift, that Roman soldier was put to death. In fact, if they caught him sleep, they would, you know, set his little skirt on fire. And so he was about to take his life because he knew that he would rather take his own life than Rome to deal with him. And Paul says, no, we all here. That man ended up going home, and he ended up getting saved. And he says, sirs, what must I do to get saved? And, you know, and Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in your whole household, and you will be saved. That's the same kind of situation here. If anyone slipped between your fingers, you're going to die in their place. You're going to die in their place. The same truth applied in that particular story in Acts 16. It says, now it happened as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, go in and kill them. All, everybody with the bell outfits on. <laughs> Let no one come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. Then the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple bell, and they brought the sacred pillars out of the temple bell and burned them. You want to get rid of false idols? That's a good thing to do. Then they broke down the sacred pillar bell and tore down the temple bell and made it a refuge dump to this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. Baal was a foreign deity. He destroys this, you know, this... But he didn't do something you think he would destroy. He destroyed bell worship, but he didn't go to Bethel and he didn't go to Dan to destroy those shrines that Jeroboam the first had set up. Isn't that interesting? How we can kill one thing that we think is so bad and we still got a little bit of that stuff in our own hearts. Huh? Because sin always looked better on another person. You know how we can get rid of one thing? You ever got rid of one thing that you were struggling with? And then you say, I got rid of two things. Then there's a third thing left. You're like, man. Look, the foreign gods in their lives are those gods which other people can see with the physical eye. Other people can apparently see these gods that you worship. Because foreign gods, you got to bring them with you, and people could see them. They could see them. They could see them. But the gods that only you and the Lord know about are the ones that equal the true rebellion of the man's heart. Look, there are some things we do that's only God knows about, and we still do them. Isn't that something? Because we always try to deal with the sin that people can see. We don't try to deal with the sin that people can't see. Secret sin or presumptuous sins. You know, we don't deal with those sins that people can't see. We deal with sins that people can see. And the ones that people can't see, that's the greater of the two. That's the greater rebellion. All of it's bad, but that's flat-out rebellion before God. Is that something? Look, this guy came to church. He used to drink like a fish. I see him walking on the street drunk. But the other guy home looking at porn or something, just... He and himself, so you think, and God is grieved right there with him. Isn't that something? How so many people do that? They sort of have like all the stuff they got that's only hidden. And little do they know God sees everything, everything is naked before his eyes. 
And they try to be super spiritual and publicly. Praise the Lord, brother. Hallelujah, man. Yeah, man. I'm, the Lord is, yeah, man. The Lord is good, man. Yeah, I'm reading, man. I'm, I'm reading the Psalms. And the Lord speaking to me. He's like, really? Okay. You're reading the Psalms? Yeah, I read the Psalms all the time. Man, I, and, and I'm reading this. But what are you doing when you're by yourself? What are you really doing when you're by yourself? What are you really doing when you're by yourself? When you're all by yourself, could Jesus come and sit with you? And talk to you and watch what you watch? Come right in, Jesus. Come on. You don't have to knock on the door. You don't have to stand at the door and knock. There's no, no latches on the door. Just come sit with me, Lord. If he can't, then you know how rebellion you are. You answered your own question. Then you know how rebellious you are towards God. If he can't come and sit and watch and do the things you do, then you know how rebellious you are toward God. These are the hidden things. Then you really know. Then you know how evil and filthy sin is. Because I'm not even willing to give this up. And the Lord is watching me. He's watching me do this filthy stuff. And I'm not willing to give it up because I love it that much, Lord. I don't care if I'm rebellion. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. The public stuff, everybody see me, they see me change on the exterior. Oh, yeah, he doesn't do that no more. He's great. But let's look into the chambers of his heart or his mind. You know, Ezekiel 8, 8, you know, <laughs> they looked in the chambers of the priests. Imagine that. I tore down all the things, Lord, but I didn't touch Bethel. I didn't touch Dan because nobody could really see that part. Those are the places where I'm going to go back and worship. I know it's false worship, but they were built up. I didn't build them up. It shows you how deceitful the heart is. It's desperately wicked. It's incurable. You understand that? Amen? I understand it. And if we sin against God in secret... In the eyes of others, we look like we're just pious and devout. How great a hypocrisy that is. How great. How great hypocrisy. I love the Lord. And go home and encourage my wife out. And everybody says, oh, that's a good pastor. He's a good man. Love the Lord. God. Oh, man, love the Lord. Go home and give my wife a black eye or choke her or something. And say, oh, yeah, he's, he's a good man. He feeds the homeless. Man, look at all the stuff he's been doing, man. They did an outreach down there. They went all the way down into that other place. And they gave our Bibles. Oh, they did a good job. That means nothing. Nothing at all. And verse 29 says, however, Jehu did not... Turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. See that? 
who had made Israel sin, that is, from the golden calves that were in, at Bethel and Dan. See, Jehu was an instrument used by God that the scriptures might be fulfilled, yet he never truly turns to God. He never truly turns to God. What a sad place to be because he knew God's word and the plan to destroy Ahab's house because he was the one who said, now, now know nothing that shall fall from the earth from the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he spoke through his servant Isaiah. He knew that. He knew that God's word. He knew about the word. You know, Jehu proclaimed his zeal for the Lord. Really? Your zeal for the Lord, yet he failed to follow the Lord's will completely. See how we can do that? You be at church every Sunday, every Wednesday night. I'm at church. I don't miss church. I haven't missed Bible study in 20 years. Hallelujah. Say all those things. And then go somewhere away from me and do whatever you feel like doing. Until you come back. And that's why you say people don't have no joy. They don't have no peace. You know what depletes our peace is sin. Joy is depleted because of sin. Discontentment somewhere in sin is nearby. Somewhere is nearby. He judges the sins of others, but he never repents of his own sins. Isn't that something? What kind of man is that? God truly spoke, look, to Elijah in regard to the fate of Ahab. But the Lord also wanted Israel to rid, get rid of all their idol worship too, the golden calf in Bethel and Dan. He wanted them to get rid of it. Sometimes a person can think that they serving a foreign god is not that bad or serving some idol is not that bad. But both are sin in the eyes of the Lord. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Gods, plurals, not singular. Gods include possessions, power, and prominence. No other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. It's in the Ten Commandments. God said you shouldn't do these things. Because Jesus, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's how I know you love me. Don't tell me you love God and you refuse to obey him. You don't love God. You cannot love him if you don't obey him. That's what Jesus said. I didn't say it. He said it. I'm just repeating what he said. And the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in notice of my heart, your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation but Jehu took no heed to walk notice. All the stuff we know about him, but look at this verse 31. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all of his heart. For he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam who had made Israel sin. Isn't that something? You go back and you read Psalm 78 verse 10 when it says they did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law. They refuse to do it. When we, do, when we don't take heed to the word of God, we're destined to fall. You know that. We're destined to fall. 
When we don't take heed to the word, we're destined to fall. Like, I don't care who you are. If you don't obey God's word, you are destined to fall. You will fall. I don't care how spiritual you so-called look, what kind of robe you got on, what kind of, you know, big cross you got around your neck, or what, how many degrees, how many Bible colleges you went to. If you don't take heed to the word of God, you will fall because that's all pride. And pride cometh before fall. You will fall. Remember what Daniel prayed? It's interesting what Daniel prayed, the prophet Daniel. Daniel prayed in Daniel chapter 9, one of the most remarkable prayers, you know, in the Bible in a sense. He says, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his, by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, I'm sure Deuteronomy 28, the servant of God who had been poured out on us because we have sinned against him and he has, confi he has confirmed his word which he spoke against us and against our judges who judge us by bringing upon us a great disaster for under the whole heaven, the whole heaven rather, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was destroyed because of sin. When a person's life is falling apart, it's because of sin. When somebody always says something wrong with the church, stop that and say, it's something wrong with me. Every church I go to is just something wrong with that church. Everywhere I go. Well, probably, I guess, you know why? Because you just walked in the door. We are the church. We, do you not know that you're the temple of God where the Holy Spirit indwells us? What makes a person a Christian is not where they go, it's what's living inside of them. You know, you're, you know, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. That's what makes you a Christian. Not because you walk through a church door. You should walk through a church door because we shouldn't forsake the assembly of our gathering together among ourselves. But no, no, no. What makes a person a Christian is that the Holy Spirit lives in them. That they have conviction of the Holy Spirit. Not because you said a sinner's prayer. Not because you said, oh, you know, my father was the bishop. Don't you tell me nothing about no church. Your father could be the bishop and you would die and go to hell. God ain't saving people in twos. People act like they get saved together with somebody. You know, individually you're saved. I got saved, you know, as an inheritance. It's handed down. No, it's not handed down. A man got to be born again. Unless he, you know, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Got to be born again. And it's interesting that, you know, he, Jehu didn't know the Lord. He would think if you saw this man destroying all the wicked stuff, <laughs> got all the false prophets in one room, he said, man, you know, this dude, man, psh, this dude got a zeal for the Lord. He never, ever missed Bible study. <laughs> Could you imagine? And then go out and throw a grenade and blow. He said, but this was the one that was at Bible study every week. None of that means nothing. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. And that we should run this race, not like it's a sprint, but a marathon. We should keep running. 
Keep running and be clothed with righteousness. You know, live in holiness. You know, one of the parts of the word holiness in the Old Testament is almost, one word is almost like to cut in pieces, like chop up a little bit, you know, and separate. You know, being so separate from the world in such a way that the world looks nothing. You know, the world is foreign. And when the world becomes foreign to us, you know what happens? We start appreciating the things of heaven. If you love being here so much, you got a problem. I can't, I don't know about you, I can't wait to get out of here. I wake up every day, I say, man, this month going fast. Today is the 16th, tomorrow is the 17th. You know, before you know it, it's September. Then it's October, the year's over. They're going to be up there on the 31st. Happy New Year's of December. And then the New Year 2024 is ushered. And then, before you know, 2025. And then, I don't know how long we'll live, and maybe we'll get it right. I don't know. But I don't want to be here. I'm just a soldier and a pilgrim. I'm spoiled for this world because I don't want to be here. God said, he has me here. When Paul said, I don't know which is better. I'm, Paul, I know which is better. Heaven. It has to be better than this. And it says in verse 32, in those days the Lord began to cut, notice, off parts of Israel. This was the Lord's doing. And not the king of Syria. The Lord began to cut off. And Haziel conquered them in all the territory of Israel from the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh, Aroah, which is by the river of Arnon, including Gilead and Bashan. And I think that this verse is amazing because of Numbers 32, where the leaders of Gad, Reuben, and half of Manasseh wanted to settle east of the Jordan. This was their desire, not necessarily God's perfect will. It was God's permissible will, and they set it over there. So two and a half tribes of Israel, the tribe of Gad, the tribe of Manasseh, half of Manasseh, and the tribe of Reuben, they didn't go on the other side of the promised land. They settled on the other side. When you read Numbers you know, um, 32, or if you read Deuteronomy chapter 3, they wanted something different. And in those days, God began to cut off parts of Israel. This was done because of sin in the land. And Haziel conquered them in all the territory of Israel from the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh. And then it says in verse 34, now the rest of the acts of Jehu, all, all that he did, he did a lot of things that was good, and all of his might, were then I written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel, you know, he who purged and cleansed the land of sin, sins was never forgiven, and he died in his sins. Isn't that something? He purged the land of sin, but he died in his sins. Isn't that something? It's like somebody pre preaching the gospel and hundreds of people getting saved. Hundreds of people getting saved. You know, God can use what he want to use. And they go home in one whole day and die and never believed in him. John Wesley, Charles Wesley, their mother, Susanna, had like 19 kids. She didn't even believe in the Lord. All of her kids was Christians. They loved the Lord. She got saved on a dime bed. She didn't even believe in the Lord. You got parents that send their kids to church. The kids get saved on fire for the Lord, and they end up dying on hell. 
They did a good thing by sending their kids to church, but they never turned into Jesus Christ. They never gave their hearts to Christ. Scary, isn't it? It's enough to scare all of us to think about that. So, so Jehu rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. Then Jehoahaz, which means the Lord sustains, his son reigned in this place. And he would be oppressed by Haziel, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of this king's life. And the period that Jehu reigned over Israel was, notice, this is how we know how many years he reigned. 28 years. Amen? But never knew the Lord. All the good things he did, never knew the Lord. What a shame. Isn't that a shame? Look, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Make your calling and election short. Look, make sure you know the Lord. Make sure you know who the Lord Jesus is. Make sure you know, like, what does it mean to be saved? Not just coming on a mobile home. Well, I go to a church, and I like the church, and they play good music there. And, and the pastor, sometimes I like what he say. <laughs> be born again. Be born again. And it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit of whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ. Not by works of righteousness which we've done, but he saves us through the washing you know, and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The regeneration is palingenesia in the Greek. It's the new birth, being born again. It's through Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And then we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and he died for our sins and that he was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead. That's the gospel. That Christ died according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. He was buried on the third day. He rose from the dead. And this Jesus, why are you guys gazing up, looking up to heaven? This Jesus is coming back in like manner. And you read Revelation chapter 19. He's coming back. And those who believe in Jesus Christ, who is the church, the real church, will be coming back with them riding on white horses. And judging this dirty world, he'll purge the world of sin. And we'll live in what we call the kingdom age, or another name is known as the millennium. And we'll rule and reign with him. That's the church. Not the Old Testament believers. They'll serve during the millennium. We'll rule and reign with Christ. You should make sure you know who Jesus is. Coming to church is not enough. Singing on the choir is not enough. Your father, your mother, if they're Christians, that's not enough. You have to be born again. You have to be born again. You say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Lord, forgive me of my sins because I don't want to die in my sins. There was a girl in the restaurant last night. Me and Charlene was out. And I looked in her eyes and the Holy Spirit kept saying, you witness to her. You tell her about Jesus. And she walked by and she came back. And, she walked, and the Lord kept saying, you tell her about Jesus. And it kept getting louder and louder to me in, in a sense. When she came back, I said, are you a Christian? You are really nice. She said, no, I'm not a Christian. That was my opening. I say, you need to be born again because God has a plan for your life. He loves you. He was crucified. He was buried on the third day. He rose from the dead for you. She said, that's good for you. I said, no, it's good for anybody that believes in the Lord. And her whole countenance changed when I started talking about Jesus Christ and how much he loved her. 
We should be proclaiming the gospel because there's so many people say, I'm spiritual now. And so many people say, oh, and we're not out there. See, people say, oh, I was out there the day on Allen the Avenue. Oh, good conversation. I'm not trying to have no good conversations. I'm trying to tell people, you need to be born again. You need Jesus Christ. And we need to be the ones telling people they need Jesus Christ. That's what they need, Jesus Christ. To be born again and to be changed and their eternal destination will be changed. We should be the ones proclaiming the gospel. As Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the dunamis, it's the power of God unto salvation. It is power in the gospel. But make sure you know that you're saved first before you proclaim it. And make sure you fill it with the Spirit when you go out. Look, when you're sharing Christ, it says they had to be filled with the Spirit just to wait on tables. Just to wait on tables. They was, look, how much more should we be on fire but filled with the Spirit and hearing the prompting of the Lord? Say, that person there, tell them about me. Tell them about me. And not be afraid to do it. Because you may run into some church people say, I have been in church. I'm part of the, I go to this church and that church. Let me ask you, are you born again? Oh, no, I'm a member that I not know. Are you born again? What do you mean born again? What do you think, I'm, I'm, I'm not saved? If somebody got to say that, they're probably not saved. Don't end up like Jehu, doing a lot of good stuff, but not even knowing God. Sorry about that, but y'all need to hear it. Amen? Amen? Let's give the Lord a big hand in life. You love the Jesus we serve. Let's praise our God. Look, let's pray as we stand up. Father, we thank you, Lord, because we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We want to praise your word. We want to praise you, Lord. We want to honor you. We want to place you on the pedestal, Lord Jesus. We don't want to be just religious people. Let's do good things, but never ever know you, never follow you. Lord, we want to follow you, Lord. As you, as you told Peter, you know, follow me. And she told um, Philip to follow you. As you told Matthew, follow me. Lord, we want to be those who's following you. Not just to, at a distance, but Lord, closely, Lord, resembling you, looking like you in the world that we live in. They will see you living through our lives. So, Father, bless us. Bless everyone here tonight. Keep us, Lord. Keep us focused on the things that are above. Let our minds be stayed on you. Lord, that we remember how much you love us, Lord, daily. We honor you. We praise you. In your marvelous, wonderful, great name, Jesus, we pray. And for your sake, and let all God's people say amen. amen. Let's sing this last song together.